Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you that the new book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, is going to be available this Hanukkah. It's been very, very widely received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to marriage therapists, people who work with young couples, and the response has been really, truly amazing. Please look for it at the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or your local Jewish bookstore. Okay, our covers are goof on a shama. If you have the uh, text session 9, it says, our covers are goof on a shama. The, <clears throat> please sit on the other end of the table, because... Mm-hmm. Don't not sit this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can sit on this end of the table. <laughs> okay, nice bag. <laughs> Should I put it in front of the camera? Right, exactly, right. Okay, we have to start because we have to start. Okay, our covers the goof and neshama, the joining together of the goof and the neshama. Ulam, Leosa Dovah said, Nishlam Karoi, for this creation that Hashem had intended for it to be complete as proper, Gazra Chachma El Hashem decreed, Sheada Murka Mishnei Hapchim, that man should be created from two opposites. Dino Meneshama Sichlis Vizacha, from a neshama that's wise and clear, v'guf artsi v'okur, and a body that's earthy and clouded. Shekol echem emita b'tivilatzido, each one will pull by its nature to what its side is. Daino guf lechomrius, meaning to say the body to materialism, v'neshama lesichlius, and the neshama to um, intelligence, to wisdom. V'timsa b'neim lechoma, and between them there will be a war. So basically, what the Derech Hashem has done here is he's given us a explanation to when Hashem created Adam, us, how Hashem created us from two distinct parts, from the guf, which is very cloudy, very murky, that's pulled after the materialism, and from the neshama, which is brilliant, insightful, and clear. And the I whom speaking to am comprised of both, the I who I'm speaking to am made of these two elements, and I am in constant war, one part or the other wins out. Okay, so let's begin two very important observations about the way Hashem created the world. <clears throat> Number one, there is a lot of beauty in the world, and there's also an awful lot of misery, pain, and poverty, illness, disease. There are a lot of rough spots. As a matter of fact, Tonight, ladies, please don't leave before the end of the session because this is going to be a depressing session. This is going to be very, very depressing until we get to the punchline. So don't, I don't want anybody walking out in the middle because this is going to be a little bit, um, a little bit of a downer. If you look about the world we live in, you'll see there are a lot of, a lot of rough spots. There's a lot of pain, poverty, illness, disease, um, a lot of things that really seem to be um, a lot of unhappiness. As a matter of fact, I think one of the most basic questions a human being should ask is, couldn't Hashem have done a better job at doing that which Hashem did? I know Hashem is very capable. I know that because I look at the world and I see the vastness, the complexity. I see the harmonious systems. I see, <clears throat> I see science textbooks that describe a cell that more complex than New York City. So I see that God is very, very good at doing that which He did. So, gee golly, couldn't Hashem have done a little bit better job at creating us? And if you're not sure what I mean, here's a simple question. 
How many people do you know who are fundamentally happy? Where they wake up in the morning and they say, Wow, life is awesome, let's go! And all day long the smile just spreads all day on their face. And wow, life showers them with goodness and pleasures and unending enjoyment. Anybody? So if you date yourself a little bit, you'll remember Stevie Wonder. And Stevie Wonder at the keyboard... He was an interesting fellow, and Stevie Wonder had that constant smile on his And maybe he was, I don't know. I'm sorry? He probably was high, yes. (laughs) Right, it could be that when you're doing drugs, you're in that state, but other than that, don't get me wrong, life has its moments, but there's an awful lot of pain and suffering, and more than that, there's there's a lot of times when things just don't seem to be going the the right way. He was smiling despite being blind. Yes, now, but you see, despite being blind, now, that's an interesting point, but the point is, Hashem is very, very good at doing that which Hashem does. Couldn't Hashem have done a better job at creating human beings to be happy? Um, The pursuit of happiness is basic to this country, right? It's the preamble of the Constitution. It's something that everybody wishes for, everyone desires, everyone wants, and yet no one seems to be happy there's so much pain, there's so much misery, there's so much uncomfort, there's so much, so many things that are just going wrong. He didn't want to. He wanted us to be uh, a challenge. Okay. So we could earn the next one. Okay, so you're, you're stealing my thunder, <laughs> and, and you said the answer, but you see, this is really a Mrs. Sharma's point, and it bears, it bears really thinking about it. He says, any thinking person will quickly realize it's impossible for Hashem to have created us for our station in this world, because if Hashem did, then Hashem did a terrible job. Okay, let me share with you my famous Alan Dershowitz uh, uh, Marshall, right? Alan Dershowitz, um, in his book, The Vanishing American Jew, he has a little, um, it's really a footnote, but in the footnote he describes that he was teaching a course in comparative religion. It was really a course about the big deal issues of life, and at a certain point, they were doing a survey of the world's religions. And the goal of the survey was to determine which religions have benefited mankind, which ones have hurt mankind. And they were giving them each a rating, and they went through all the world religions, Judaism, Buddhism, Catholicism. At a certain point, he says, one of the students raised their hand and said, Professor, religion is a way of relating to God, maybe a way of serving God. If we're rating the world's religions, shouldn't we rate God? And he said, what do you mean? So the student explained, well, how did God do at this thing called creation? So they agreed to play judge and jury and give God a rating. How did he do at this thing called creation? Now, before I spoil the fun and let you know what God got on the final, the world, according to Alan Dershowitz, is um, a little bit of a mixed bag. On the one hand, there's some beauty in the world. There's love, there's poetry, there's flowers, there's sunrises. On the other hand, there's some rough spots. There's pain, there's illness, disease, poverty, there are orphans. So on balance, God rates a B minus. B minus. Not an A plus, not an F. God did kind of mediocre. Okay, now, if I had my chance to rate our learned professor, I would give him a grade. Wouldn't it be an A? Mm -mm. Wouldn't it be a B? Wouldn't it be a C? It would be a D for dumb. Why? Because imagine I would have pulled this pen out of my pocket. Imagine I would say to you, see this? This is a lousy toothpick. I mean, whoever designed this toothpick did a terrible job. Who needs this thing over here and the whole up and down thing? But more than that, 
Every time I get a, in the back of my, my molars, I get this red, inky thing all over my mouth. I mean, whoever designed this toothpick did a lousy job. Now, that would be an example of fallacious thinking, of false thinking. Why? Because before you rate the manufacturer, you have to know what they intended that object to do. As a writing implement, it might be well-crafted. As a toothpick, it might be lousy. But before you rate BIC, you have to know what they intended that object to do. And if you try to rate them before you know what they intended an object to do, you're going to come up with some pretty silly theories. So, I believe it's very much the same idea with Hashem. Before you rate God as to how He did it, this thing called creation, you have to have a very clear understanding as to why Hashem made the world, and what life's about, why are we here. And if you're going to rate God before you have a very clear understanding of that, you're going to come up with some pretty silly ideas. So, Masil Sharm really shares with us a perspective, a, um, a mushal. Now, keep in mind, the Derech Hashem is written by the same author, and oftentimes the Derech Hashem expands dramatically on what the Masil Sharm says. <clears throat> but in any case, let me share with you something from the Masil Sharm, which is a perspective on this. If you'd like to understand life on its most fundamental level, <clears throat> imagine you're invited to a very exclusive health club. Now, you've never been there before, but you know the basic layout. On the right side is the gym, and the left side is the spa. The gym has all the equipment you need to work out, the, the Nautilus, the free weights, everything you need to get in shape. And the left side is the spa, the steam room, the sauna, the massage table, everything you need to just relax. In any case, you decide it's been a very stressful week. And you head in, and you decide I'm heading right to the spa, but because you don't know the layout, instead of turning left, you turn right, and you find yourself in this room with all this equipment and all these red-faced people grunting and sweating. Whoever designed this spa did a lousy job. That is a parable for this world. When Hashem created this world, Hashem created two worlds. There's this world and the world to come. Each with its plan, each with its purpose. This world is the gym. We'll put it here to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. When I'm done my job here, I go to the world to come. That's a spa. That's where I enjoy. When you understand that there are two worlds, and when you understand this perspective, then life fundamentally makes sense. But if you don't understand that, then very little under the sun makes sense. And if you'd like to know what I mean, it's really quite simple. Anyone here ever suffer a headache? Migraine, anybody? Little arthritis, maybe? Okay. A few years back, I helped a man up three steps on Yom Kippur. I think he suffered more pain in those three steps than I suffered my entire year. So here's the question. If Hashem is more loving, more kindly than anyone we could imagine, take Avram Avinu. Multiply that unbridled love by 10,000, 10,000 times, and you don't even have an inkling as to the unbridled love that Hashem has for any one of His creations. Why would a loving, giving, kindly God create pain? But pain isn't just pain. Pain comes in so many nuances and flavors. When you smash your elbow, it hurts. When you smash your shin, it hurts. But it's very different. An abrasion is different than a break which is different than a burn, which is different than a stomachache, which is different than a toothache. You could write poetry about the different nuances of pain. Why would Hashem create pain? And if you're asking questions about the way Hashem created the world, what about diseases? What about a stupefying immune system in man that, that is incredibly complex, but with gaping holes in it, and disease states that seem to be crafted exactly to penetrate those holes in the immune system, as in COVID-19, as in any one of the various diseases 
that seem to be crafted specifically to bypass the immune system. So the question is, why would Hashem do this? And again, the Sulshram's point is that any thinking person will quickly realize that if Hashem created us for our station in this world, Hashem did a terrible job, meaning God would not read a B minus if Alan Dershowitz were honest. If you were intellectually honest, God would rate an F. You see, when Elsie the cow dies, her nephesh just evaporates, is no longer there. Imagine, as apparently, I guess, Alan Dershowitz imagines, imagine that when I hit the grave, it's black. It's over. It's black, dark. Imagine that's true. It's done, finished. Then Hashem would not rate a B-. Hashem would rate an F. Because if you look about this world, there are so many things that serve no purpose. Pain, illness, disease, suffering... Look at all the features of this world, and you'll find many of them serve no purpose whatsoever. Once you understand there are two worlds, then the world makes sense. There'll be many situations in life that you'll be challenged. You'll be forced to choose. You'll either transcend or you crumble up, but choose you must. And when you begin to understand that this world is the gym, you understand that life is wonderful, life is beautiful, but there are a lot of rough spots and a lot of things you're going to go through, not because they benefit you here, and not because they make you happier, healthier, or better in this world, but they do force you to choose, force you to either grow or to crumble up, but there's no sitting on the sidelines, and when you realize that, fundamentally life makes sense. If you don't realize that, then very little under the sun makes sense. Now, this is the first point that the Mesut explains to us, how we know factually that Hashem could not have created us for this world, because if Hashem did, there are so many features in this world that make no sense, that Hashem would never put here, and really have no explanation. Not that you don't know the answer, that literally have no answer, because they serve man no purpose. All right, so far so good? Okay. Now, this is the first, let's call it the first proof, intellectual proof that Hashem did not create us for a station in the world, this world. But there's a second one that I find even more compelling. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the page that says the peasant and the um, princess. princess and the peasant. And I'm going to try to share screen again. Uh, and this time I'm going to do the entire screen. And I hope I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to do, yes. And I believe I have. Okay, I'm going to read this. I, I apologize for doing this, but I know of no better way of doing this than to literally read this out loud. Here we go. The Princess and the Peasant. In the time of castles and moats, there lived a princess. And only... Do we have the... We all have the mm-hmm. sheet? Okay. Um, okay. In the time of castles and moats, there lived a princess. And only child, her life was to be one of comfort, lavishness, and splendor from cradle to the grave. And that is how it began. She wore only satin and silk. She was served only the finest delicacies. She lived an enchanted existence until her 20th year. One day, the now mature princess went for a walk in the woods and lost her way. Wandering for hours on end, she realized that she couldn't find her way back to the castle. Exhausted, she laid down on the bare ground and fell asleep. She dreamt that she would not, never make it back home and that she was destined to spend the rest of her life in the woods. She woke up with a start, looked around, and realized that it wasn't just a dream. She was still in the forest. In a desperate panic, she ran, bumping, crashing, falling down, and getting back up. Hour after hour, she ran deeper and deeper into the forest and further and further from the castle. Exhausted, she collapsed and again fell into a deep slumber. When she awoke, she realized that if she didn't eat, she would die. 
She remembered that some of the berries and roots in the woods were edible, so she scrounged together some nourishment and passed the time. Soon the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months. After more than a year, her clothes tattered, her hair disheveled, she stumbled onto a clearing of the forest and saw what looked like a shack made of logs. She approached slowly, cautiously. There were no sounds. Silently, she circled the shack. It was empty. She opened the door, looked in, and saw a well-tended primitive home with a table and chairs and a fireplace. It looked like someone had recently been there. In the corner sat a wood-framed bed with straw for the mattress. Exhausted and not having slept in a bed for over a year, she lay down and immediately fell into a deep slumber. Many hours later, she awoke with a start and saw a forester standing over her. He was large, coarse, and darker than any man she had ever seen. But as shocked as she was to see him, he was equally taken aback by her presence. A thousand thoughts raced through her mind. Will he harm me? Who is he? Does he speak my language? Before she could chance to utter a word, he brought her a blanket and covered her with it. Out of absolute exhaustion, she fell back asleep. When she awoke in the morning, she realized that she was not alone again. The man was gone. She was alone again. The man was gone. She looked looked around the shack with a dirt floor, holes in the walls, and simple wood table and chairs. It has almost a cozy look to it, she thought to herself. Slowly wiping the sleep from her eyes, she noticed a bowl of warm porridge on the table. Famished, she wolfed it down. Her eyes filled with tears as she thought back to what were now distant times, to her home, the castle bedecked with the finest ornaments, to her wardrobe made of the most delicate fabrics, to her bedding, the smoothest satin and silk, she got up and wandered outside. The smell of spring was in the air. The freshness seemed to hang in the clearing. She stretched her arms and took in the sweet smells. When she opened her eyes, she realized the forester was there, standing at a distance, watching her. He slowly approached. He opened his mouth to speak. It was her language, but crude and broken. He is a simple peasant, uneducated, unrefined. He is, however, kind. Every day she finds her food prepared, and every day he returns to the forest bearing gifts, one day flowers, the next day a bowl carved from wood. Time passes and she begins to feel almost at home in this hovel, and she feels herself somewhat attracted to this man. She remembers that first night in the woods when she dreamt that her destiny was to spend the rest of her days in the forest. Slowly she makes her peace with her fate. Within a short time they marry. Her life in the forest is most difficult. She spends her days weaving, sewing, peeling and cooking, everything done by hand. And the winters are so harsh, bitter and unending, Month after month of frigid cold, wearing the coarsest garments that scratch her skin yet barely keep out the cold. The only source of heat in the cottage is a fire that dies down after a few hours. Most nights she wakes up shivering in the cold, and in her mind turns back to her youth, to the life of splendor and luxuries that she thought would be her future. What makes it even harder, that while her husband is good to her, none of the things that he brings her makes her happy. They just don't mean anything. He carves some beads, puts them on a string, and gives them to her, but her mind travels back to the pearls and diamonds that she wore long ago. He cooks some oats mixed with herbs for her, and she remembers the servants carrying in tray after tray of the finest delicacies. Every gift he brings her fills her with melancholy as it pulls her back, mind back to an earlier life. Ladies, what is this a mushal to? Us. Meaning? We were under the case covered, and we were, had the best of everything. There is nothing in this world that brings my neshama pleasure. Nothing. Everything is foreign to it. Everything is coarse. Do you mean nothing physical? No, it's... Like learning and things like that bring pleasure. So even that does... Now, don't get me wrong. The neshama, 
what I can accomplish. Let's start with the more basic. Any, let's let's start with physical. Any physical pleasure in this world brings me no pleasure whatsoever. Um, I'll give you a muscle that I think is the easiest way to understand it. Imagine that you were put into the body of a bear, and you find yourself not not put into the bear's skin, but put into the body of a bear with all of the drives of a bear, and you find yourself famished, ravished, and you find yourself by a garbage can, and all of a sudden your claw <clears throat> reaches into the garbage can, and you start consuming food from the... What am I doing? What, I can't do I can't not do it. What am I doing? What am I, like, you're, you're, you, you don't know what to make of yourself. You don't know what to do because there's this incredible um, hunger that you have, this incredible desire, but you don't want to do it, but you have to... I, I, and, and you're, you're in the, that is a sort of muscle to what it's like for the neshama to be in this body. In other words, I you see we get confused and we, we get very comfortable. I am, but I was very different once upon a time. I was under Hashem's kisei and I was pure and holy, without any physical desires, without any physical needs, without these constant being pulled and being driven and, and constant confusion, then I was put into this body, and in this body there is zero pleasure whatsoever from anything in the physical world. That means not not even a sunrise, not even a sunset, not even, uh, certainly not food, so nothing in this world brings me pleasure. Now, uh, <clears throat> why is it that people are so fundamentally unhappy? A big part of the reason is justified. <clears throat> Meaning, even if you get life right, and even if you grow, you see, if you're going to, if you get life right and you grow and accomplish, <clears throat> you and you are in sync, and you're fundamentally happy. Why? Because <clears throat> even though I know I'm not in the world that I belong in, and even though I know that this is so coarse and so yuck, <clears throat> but what I accomplish for eternity is incredible. I change the essence of me. And I know internally that forever I'm going to be incredibly great. And forever I'm going to enjoy proximity to Hashem. So there is an inner harmony and an inner inner peace. But nevertheless, there's a natural sort of unhappiness in the person. Um, This is what I meant by depression should be almost... um, It's almost like depression shouldn't be that foreign. Now, we have mental health professionals here, which is good, so we can help people. But... In other words, meaning there's a there is a melancholy to 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 life that that is that is real and is appropriate and proper because there's a part of me that doesn't belong in this world. There's a part of me that doesn't feel at home. There's a part of me that feels this is foreign and strange, and I know I don't belong here. Now, should a person be happy? One hundred percent. But this is the key. If I'm living my life in sync with me so there's an inner peace and an inner harmony because again I know the value of what I'm doing I know my accomplishments internally there's a sense of let's go I can accomplish I can grow at the same time there's a there's a heaviness and a lethargy and a, and a there's a there's a battle within me at any given moment because I'm in I'm in utter conflict Lady, talk to me. So far, where are we, where are we holding? Am I, am I losing? No. In other words, it's, it's a huge, huge conflict in me. What's that huge, huge conflict? 
part of me desperately doesn't want to be here. And part of me is, I'm fully half behemoth. I'm f- a full half of me has desires and needs. A full half of me is that bear. And this bear is so comfortable in this world. And this bear really cares about food and hanging out and, you know, really, really all the things of this world. It's, it's, it's brought up in this world. It was born in this world. It's made in this world. And my nefesh Bahami, my animal soul, desperately craves everything in the world and is very comfortable in this world and belongs in this world and is absolutely at ease and at peace in this world. The other half of me, the neshama, is like, what are you doing? You're eating from the garbage. Look at you. And even, this is the point, really, even when I'm doing the most ruchni thing in the world, there's such a... You know, ladies, you may not do this as much, but when I'm learning, and I'm really deep, and I'm into, wow, it's ama- it's amazing, and then my mind gets distracted, and I'm pulled, and I'm like, wait, come back here. Like, like what's wrong with you? Just put the brain on, over here, I'll make it simpler. You're davening, speaking to Hashem right there, and then the brain goes somewhere else. Like, where, and, and then when you're somewhere else, it's like, how do I get back to, how do I get back to Hashem? Like, where is Hashem? Hashem's not here. I, I can't even relate to Hashem here. It's, there's no one here. It's an empty room. Wait a minute, let me come back. And, and, and I, if I come back, I get back to the point that I, yeah, I'm experiencing Hashem and I'm speaking directly to my Creator and then I flip away and I'm gone and, and where's Hashem? I'm like, whoa. There's such a conflict. It's such a dichotomy. It's such a total stira in my existence. And the reason for this is because exactly what the Derech Hashem is teaching us, and that is there are two distinct parts of me. Part of me does not belong in this world. Part of me d- derives no pleasure from this world. Part of me has no enjoyment from anything in this world. And again, even when I'm doing ruchni things, that part of me feels very, oh, can you just get on with it and just move and just like, in words, you know what it's like. Here, I'll give you a mushroom. Let's say you're a brilliant um a brilliant Tamachacham, and you get drunk. So your brain doesn't work too well. Wait, say that again? Wait, just say it, say it again, again. But again, Tosa's Kasha was, oh, okay, good. And then Tosa, you know, because you're drunk. So, in other words, yeah, the easiest way to see this is, what happens when I leave, right? So my body's put on the ground, and instantly, every moment of my life, every event in my life, comes in with total clarity right in front of me, and I see every moment of my existence simultaneously, and I experience them totally and completely. Now, how do I do that? I can't do that now. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. I can't have, can't, probably can't remember what I had for lunch today. So how do I instantly experience every moment of my life and, and, and with such vividness and such clarity, and, it, and it's all there? And, and how do I experience Hashem? The answer is because when I'm not occluded, when I'm not blocked by the body, my mind is clear and brilliant. And when I say my mind, I mean I. And in that moment, I experience with such clarity and such vividness every moment of my existence, everything I accomplished, everything I did or didn't do. Um, And in that moment, I am at peace, utter peace, utter peace because I'm no longer conflicted I'm no longer in the body. As long as I'm in this body, I'm constantly in a state of 
sometimes in, sometimes out, in, out, but always blocked, always occluded, always clouded, and never really feeling it, never really getting it. Yeah. But if we're seeing a clear video, so to speak, of our whole life, that sounds like a heaven. So it depends how you live your life. But it, no, no, it really is. <laughs> because you make mistakes. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I think most people make mistakes. Yeah, so there is, there is a process called tshuva, and there is a process after we leave this earth of cleaning up things that we did wrong. It's called Gehenim. And bad news, we're all likely going to be there because it's... Uh, I don't say this to Svartim because they, they really have Yerushalayim, but Ashkenazim could deal with it, you know. We're all going to be in Gehenim, I'm telling you. It's, you know, it's... Uh, you'll, you'll read from the Musasram, you see. It's, it's not... It, it's, and it, it's a great... It's a great opportunity because it gets rid of a lot of that stuff, a lot of mistakes, a lot of dumb things that I did. Um, get to somehow almost magically disappear, but eleven months or something. Maximum, unless you're a real, real Russia. So, like we, we say, cottage for eleven months and no more, because the assumption is that a per, unless a person is really a Russia, someone would ask if your father is a real Russia, do you say for twelve months? I don't know, but but we say cottage for eleven months for that reason, because the assumption is by then uh, you're out of Gehenna. But Gehenna is a cleansing process where you get rid of some of that stuff. But um, but that acuity, that that brilliance, that like suddenly would absolute. There was meaning, you know, like a lot of people say, go, you know, uh, dying is like going to sleep. Dying is not like going to sleep. Dying is waking up. It's it's a whoosh, like suddenly the clouds are lifted, the blockages are gone, and I experience a shem. I relate to everything properly, perfectly. All I want to do is is be close to Hashem. I recognize the beauty of, and I value every mitzvah that I accomplished. And and you're right, I greatly mourn every mistake that I made because then I vividly understand the damage. Um, but really, let, let's come back to the point. The point of the princess and the peasant. So I am that marriage. I am the princess put into this body. The princess is the neshama, the peasant is the body, but it's a union, and this is really the point that the Masil Sharma makes more clearly, that anything that I bring to the neshama from this world brings it no pleasure. I got a gorgeous necklace, a beautiful outfit, a gorgeous car, a wonderful house, so it makes me happy. Part of me is very happy. But you ever notice that the same emptiness inside is there? You know, you waited your entire life to get this kind of house. It's a, it's a house. It's a gorgeous. It's a mansion to end all. And it's 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 it's, it's stunning. It's incredible, and it makes you happy for a week, a month, maybe, and then the same emptiness was there. But why? I lusted for it. I wanted it. I worked for it. I slaved for it, and I'm happy for a day, a week, a month, and then it's the same emptiness. So we say the line: it doesn't fill the soul. But what that means in plain, simple language is I'm as unhappy as I was before because it doesn't talk to me. The neshama within me says, so what? Like, uh, yeah, very nice. Yeah, you brought me garbage from the garbage can. <clears throat> you brought me a delicious uh, salmon. Oh, wow, salmon. Wow, raw salmon. By the way, the bear catches raw salmon in its claws and eats it raw. But if I'm the bear and I, I catch the salmon, I'm so happy. Wow, I get to fill my stomach and I, I get to eat it. <sighs> and I'm looking at myself, what are you doing? You're scrunching on the bones of a raw sour oh, look at you behemoth you look at you, what's wrong like that's what our life is is in this state 
So if you find people who are fundamentally unhappy, there's good basis for it. Um, I'm here to tell all you mental health professionals that there's reason, besides the craziness of the generation we live in, and besides the craziness of life uh, in our times, there's some fundamental basic reasons why a human being should be unhappy. So let's come back to the question. Why would a great, magnanimous, generous creator create a human being in a state where perforce he's either going to be at least partly unhappy or largely unhappy and certainly like the princess and the peasant nothing in this world this complex beautiful world is going to bring him enjoyment why do it and again it explains Mr. Sharm this is one of the points that a thinking person will immediately understand Hashem did not create us for our station in this world now once you understand this so life takes on a whole different meaning. Everything in life is meaningful in what I can accomplish, what I do. I still learn to enjoy this world. I enjoy the, the physical parts of it. And later on, we're going to discuss that when I use it properly, it's alchemy. I actually convert the physical parts into ruchnias. But the bottom line is that when I understand life, there's still a melancholy, but there's great meaning and purpose in it. And therefore, it's... It's meaningful, it's purposeful, it's beautiful, it's something that I, I greatly desire and greatly wish for. All right, so far so bad? Nobody depressed yet, right? Okay, now here's the punchline. We had a fellow here at the table, it was a number of years back, when he, uh, he asked, and you may remember, he might ask the following question. He asked, um, he told me that he went around to everyone he knew who was an intelligent person. He had recently he was in the process of becoming about tshuva and when he was on the college campus he said he asked every professor he asked every personal learning he could find and no one could answer this question so between the gefilte fish and the soup he, he said rabbi maybe you can answer this question i said give it a try let's see he said my question is why have a child why have a child now he wasn't asking why have a child because they're expensive and they conflict with your interests and desires uh uh-uh, uh it was a lot deeper why do it to an innocent kid there's so much blackness there's so much pain so much ugliness in the world <clears throat> why do that to an innocent young kid why would you do that just because you want to have a child why should you do that because you want to have a child okay now he said he asked everyone he knew he couldn't find the answer so <clears throat> I said to him okay I hear the question uh, there are two answers to the question which would you like um, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Which one would you like? So he, he was Jewish, so he said, I'll take both. I said, okay, fine. I said, let me tell you the wrong answer first. The wrong answer is that you're right. Life is tough, it's ugly, it's bleak, it's black. But if you knew what the world to come was, if you realize how valuable, how precious it was, and you realize it's worth suffering for 70, 80 years of bleak darkness and and pain, it's worth it all for the greatness of the world to come. I said to him, that's 100% correct, but it's a wrong answer to the question. Because while it is true that it's worth it, if we knew the value, the greatness of being close to Hashem for eternity, it'd be worth suffering for 70, 80 years, <clears throat> but the bottom line is it's the wrong answer. Would you like to know the right answer to the question? I said the right answer is that when you understand life, when you know why you're here, life is beautiful, you're growing, you're accomplishing, you're changing the essence of you. And in that process, there's an inner joy. Now, it doesn't mean every moment of life is sweet and wonderful, 
but there's an inner joy, there's a happiness, life has meaning, life is precious, because you know why you're here, and you and you are in sync. So when you understand that, you're in inner peace, life is beautiful, and the answer to why you bring the child into the world is, ultimately you're right, it's good for the world to come, it's good, but life itself is beautiful when you fundamentally understand life. And I think that really is the point of this discussion this evening. The simple reality is that Hashem could have done a much better job of creating this world, but Hashem did the perfect job of creating this world for its purpose. This world is the gym, we're here to grow, to accomplish, to be challenged. There are many moments in life that will be painful, that will be very, very difficult, very dark and dreary, and we're going to be ever clouded and ever confused. And that's exactly the challenge. <clears throat> what do you do in that moment? Do you transcend, do you rise above, or do you shrink up, do you, do you become like a prune? <clears throat> but every situation in life is a challenge. When you understand why Hashem made us, you understand two things. Number one, there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering in this world, and it's not by accident. It's goof for part of the life setting, <clears throat> part of what life is about. And number two, there's some basic unhappiness within me because there's a part of me that doesn't belong in this world. There's a part of me that feels like it's a foreigner. There's a part of me that feels they don't speak my language, they don't eat my foods, I'm not into what I'm into in any sense. And that causes a certain unhappiness. <clears throat> but again, ultimately, a person living a life properly is happy, and a person living a life with meaning and purpose fundamentally is joyful because life itself is beautiful, but nevertheless, there is that element of unhappiness that remains until we leave this earth, and then forever, <clears throat> we appreciate everything that we accomplished. Okay, thoughts, observations, for or against? Pro-life. Pro-life. <laughs> Definitely pro-life. Definitely not against life. Um, <clears throat> ladies, anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all day, every day. All day, every day, there's there's a part of me that says, what is the meaning of this? What is the purpose of this? This is so empty and so vacuous. No, but it's so beautiful, it's so glorious, it's so gorgeous. Look at that house, look at that car, look at that dress, look at that, you know. You ever feel jealous of another person? No, but what if we didn't have all these challenges and all these... We wouldn't be able to grow. We grow from these challenges. We grow from difficulties in life. Right. And that's good for them also. Now, if everything was always good, we would have no issues. I mean, like, what's the purpose of life? Yes, 100%. 100%. The purpose of life is to be challenged, is to grow. And, and that's why we need the difficulties. That's why we need the... the but, again, it, it's also important sometimes to step back and say... Couldn't Hashem have done a better job? And the answer is yes, absolutely. If Hashem created this world for pleasure and for our enjoyment, Hashem would have done a much better job. And by the way... Better according to our understanding. We can't stand up there and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should have done a better job. Well, no, you see, it depends why Hashem made the world. If this world is about pleasure, then Hashem did a lousy job. I know Hashem could do a better job because I look at the world, <clears throat> I see the vastness, I see the complexity, I see the intricacies of it. I know Hashem could do a better job of making me happy. If the world was created for, for pleasure, right? Right. For instance, listen, it's it's really quite simple. <clears throat> there are many different drugs that could change your mood and make you happy. Now they have a great cost and they're not worth it, 
<clears throat> but Hashem is very clever, and Hashem could have figured out a way to make me happy all day long, like, like Stevie Wonder, but for real. And, and so, those are only temporary happiness. Happiness is when you do for others, when you're giving. You know, these physical things really, like you said, they wear off right away. They wear off right away, and and again, that's because this world <clears throat> was created for an exact purpose, for a particular reason, and in this <clears throat> world, these thi- nothing has lasting value other than the purpose of the world, which is to grow and to accomplish, and everything else is passing and fleeting, and nothing else has real significant meaning. But again, it, it's it, it's important to recognize that, like fundamentally, there's a certain there's a part of me that feels like a foreigner. I'll give you an example. I was once speaking to a person, and he's a very hush of person, and he said to me at a certain point, "Don't you don't you want to go home already? Don't you just want to go home?" And what he meant was, like at a certain point, like you realize I don't belong here. Like I don't belong in this world. It's 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 foreign. It's 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 coarse and it's sluggish and it's slow. And I just want to. I just want to be free of the burdens and the heaviness and the, and I don't mean because you're depressed. I mean because you appreciate what the world to come is, what what Hashem is, and how I'm blocked by this body, and how everything is is darkened and occluded, and I I can't experience Hashem with any clarity. I'm like in this constant confused state. So now again, if you understand life, life is precious because what I can do in this moment. And and for eternity, I'm going to be based on what I accomplish. Therefore, there's a huge value to life, and I love life. But there's also a certain sense of like, I I can't I can't I can't do. It's like I'm chained down. I'm being held in place. I can't move. I can't. I, I want to be free. I want to just. Do I know what I'm talking about? Yes, but you know, you feel that as we grow older, we feel that more. You feel I which know way? Now, more? But you don't know. You know, I've been there. As we grow older and we go through challenges, we feel that. I mean, we're young, we're young and dumb. <clears throat> yeah. Um, what about when you're old and dumb? That's that's a lot worse. Um, <clears throat> many if people. If you've been through t- challenges, then you you live, you learn from your challenges. I had lymphoma ten years ago. And when I came out of this, I said, thank you, Hashem. I mean, your whole life changes. You just appreciate life and you appreciate doing, you know, mitzvahs or just being there. Right, right. Um, I I agree wholeheartedly. I I was just learning this afternoon that the... um, and I don't remember which, which Rosh Shiva, but Rosh Shiva Panovich got up the bimba and he said, I've been giving Sherm all my life an amuna, and I realize on myself that any minute I'm not working on myself to go up an amuna, I'm going down. And I feel like there's, it's, it's, it sounds funny to say, but I feel like it's the same thing because if you're working on your amuna, then constantly, then you're, then all of this stuff, the bad stuff, the difficulties, are you accept because because you realize that they're from Hashem and Hashem loves you. And more than that, you, you're not you're not distracted by them. You you know it's meaning when I wake up and I grow and I accomplish, I'm close to Hashem. 
So, like, everything in this world is frivolous, irrelevant, and silly, and doesn't matter. Um, I'll give you an example. Esther Amalka walks into Ahasuerus, and Ahasuerus says, uh, Who's this one who wanted to kill you? Right? She's begging for a life, and, and she says, There's a certain person who wants to kill me, and my people, this person doesn't care about the king. Who is this person? She points a finger at Ahasuerus and says... <coughs> And Achashverosh, she points a finger at Achashverosh, and she's about to say the words, you are the one, because that's in fact what was happening. The Malach comes and pushes her hand over to Haman. Now, why did she, the Mephoshim asked, why did she point a finger at Achashverosh? Not too bright. The answer is, she was lovish Malchus. At that moment, she was sacrificing her life for the Klyosol. She knew that she might well be killed. You know, Achashverosh, she walked into the throne room, you were summarily killed unless you were invited. She wasn't invited. <clears throat> she walked in being most nefesh for the Klaistral, knowing she might die. She reached a level of absolute hisbatless. She reached a level where she walked in and Hashem was there. She wore Malchus. She wore Nevuah. She was so close to Hashem. And Hashem was right there that the the trinkets of this world lost their value. This puppet called Akash was just a puppet. You can't harm me. You can't touch me. You're nothing. She saw Hashem Swakashvarish is a nothing, and she pointed a finger, You, you Russia, because she recognized he was powerless. She reached such a level of being transcending physicality. She saw Hashem so clearly and recognized the, the, the emptiness of this world, the smoke and the mirrors, that at that moment she pointed at Akashvarish and said, You, you Russia, because she didn't fear him. There was no power that he had. Again, the Malach came and pushed her finger away, meaning. When you reach a certain level, then everything in this world becomes frivolous and irrelevant and, and inconsequential. Meaning, you know, if you told the Chavetz Chaim, you know, why do you live in a simple house? What simple house? What do you mean? Well, I could buy you a mansion. Like, you can buy a mansion. That's really, that's very, very, very inviting. But, but it's, but it's a great mansion. That's really nice. A fancy car. That's really great. You know, <laughs> meaning. You, you can reach a level in this world where you no longer are affected, no longer pulled, no longer influenced to the same level. We in Hashemah becomes much more potent, much more powerful. The physical part has much less of a hold. Um, but even in that state, again, there's still a pull, there's still an influence, and you're ever conflicted until you leave, and then you see things with absolute clarity and absolute brilliance and understanding. My father used to say that. Okay, we'll get you on the subway. That in a token. <laughs> <laughs> My father doesn't say that anymore for no reason. Not lose it. No token. Your father said that's it. Yeah, but not anymore because no, no tokens, right? right. It's all right. right. Yeah. The tokens, right? No tokens Actually, anymore. Yesterday, my brother used to say, "Yeah, right? Okay, I'm going to take some questions from the floor. Um, <clears throat> well, okay, one question. Well, isn't that because happiness is not the goal? Yes, that's correct. Happiness is not the goal. Um, but again, this is one of those ironies that when you live a life properly where Hashem wants, that is the happiest life you're going to have. Because Hashem created us to grow, Hashem created us to accomplish, and when you do that, there's an inner peace. So even though at that stage you recognize the folly and the emptiness, but you recognize that you're converting this emptiness into great meaning, so there's an inner happiness and an inner peace. All right, what is the explanation why for some people experiences why some people experience so many more challenges than others. I'm saying trauma and loss and mental illness. Okay. 
So <clears throat> there's a very important shmuz, number 24, life setting, understanding why Hashem gives different life settings to different people. My wife heard it this Shabbos in, uh, in Providence because she never had to sit there because I've also heard it before, once or twice. But if you, um, the book Stop Surviving, Start Living, or Shemuz number 24, Hashem gives different life settings to different people. As my face is different than yours, my mind is different than yours, my personality, my temperament, my inclination, my nature, and what is a Nisayan for me may not be a Nisayan for you. What's a test for you may not be a test for me. Meaning, um, each of us experience life very differently. Uh, each of us experience life situations very differently. Some people have a life that I, many people have a life that I would never wish for because the suffering seems to be great. But Hashem knows very well what each person needs and what each person can handle. And it's very difficult to assess one experience of, you know, hard to climb into another person's life and know what they're really experiencing and what they're really feeling. So the answer is that Hashem is very good at giving life settings to each person for what they need. And Hashem gives each individual the perfect life setting. It fits them like a hand in glove to allow them to grow, to allow them to accomplish. And ultimately it's for their benefit because that's what they need to reach their ultimate level of greatness and accomplishment. All right, good. Any other thoughts, observations? Very negative. Very negative? Oh, don't... Yeah, time with the with the pitch that Rebbe is giving saying that this world is inherently um, a depressing place because we keep talking about the opportunities that are here so if I'm always looking at things I mean this is coming from a half full person um, if I'm always looking at something as an opportunity then there's no reason to be depressed because even though I am not yet in whatever that world to come is that's supposed to be my completion or whatever it is, I, if I feel I'm being productive, I'm going to always be happy. Yes, 100%. You wake up in the morning with a sense of drive, let's go, wow, because I recognize the value of a moment. And at the same time, there's some real times where like, um, I'm so far from Hashem, I'm so far from anything... Ruchni, Amuna, what's Amuna? It's like. But then you say to yourself, okay, so now I have to fix it. Now I have to come. Yes. And I schmooze with Rabbi Schaefer. And I have to to say, okay, how do I get myself back on track? Right. But I don't say because of that I have to be depressed. No, no, right. And and I don't want you to walk out depressed. But I, I think it's also important to recognize how foreign this world is to me. Not to be depressed, but to recognize that in my proper state, Hashem is here. Physical stuff is dumb. In other words, it's like in my perfect state, in my proper state, I'm not pulled to these things. I'm not conflicted. I'm not uh, <clears throat> needing to go this way and that way. So I, I understand the value of every moment. And because of that, I could grow and I could accomplish. And so I love life. Good. At the same time, there's a, <clears throat> a certain like... But you have to call a state a state. It, it, it's not where the action's at in terms of spiritual. But you know that you know that God willing, you're getting. It. Yeah, so it's worth it, and it's great, and at the same time, it's not. It's not that I, I took a one way ticket on the wrong plane, 
and now there's no chance to ever get to that other place. Right, but in other words, look, watch. My grandmother spent six years in London, in, in England, and I asked her, how'd you like during it the war. during the war? It rained all day. It was horrible. She had a bad experience. Was she glad to be there? Oh, she was glad to be there because Germany was not the place to be in 39, 41, 42, and 40 through 45. So she was very happy to be in England, but nevertheless, it was dreary and rainy. Was she happy? So meaning, I'm, I'm, I love life because I, what I could accomplish, what I could do, and I'm growing, and, and it's amazing. And I also have to recognize that there's like, it, there's blockages. There are things that stop me. There are things that like, I can't grow. I can't change. I can't be close to Hashem. I can't. I, I'm like that bear. Like I, I eat out of a garbage can. I say to myself, "Why am I doing this?" Anytime I say a petty comment or I'm jealous or I get angry or I'm doing things that are so uncivil, so unbecoming to me, so I'm acting like like a bear, right? I'm acting like a bear. I'm acting like a bear. That's not me. That's like, why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I'm I'm not. I'm in this now. Again, life is great, and in this bear. I can do worlds and I can change and I can grow and for eternity I, I'll be so much greater because of it so it's certainly worth it but I'm in this bear and I'm, I'm not I'm not really who I'm supposed to be who I want to be and I, and I can't be that until the bear is put in the ground I separate and then for eternity I am what I was destined to be what I'm supposed to be you know what I'm saying? I saw a survey a while ago that they did on all the religions, all the people in the world, and who came out on top? Hasidim and Eskimos. And Eskimos come out on top. Eskimos living living in igloos. You know, the Eskimos are Eskimos are very happy. Obviously, you know, something. You know, I guess maybe it's the neshama that is making us. Uh, right, 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 right. I'm good, not depressed, right? No, but I gotta keep. I gotta keep in business. There's plenty of business going on. COVID was a great, uh, right? Is it true that the mental health field planned COVID? Is it true that it was actually... Esther Baylor Schwartz said today that there was a 50% increase in suicide in teenage girls since COVID. She was quoting a study. It affected a lot of people very badly, unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right, good. Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to shut the Zoom. Okay.